0: It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Welcome to the Monday edition of Daily Thunder. I started yesterday a new series, and I'm not exactly sure how long this series is going to go, but... Uh, I actually checked my notes, and I had, I don't know if it was in the high 20s that I have as far as messages for this, and yet some of them are more vague than others, and so I'm not sure how this is going to unfold, but this one is going to seem, it's funny, because here I have it as spiritual lessons from World War II, and I'm barely going to even mention World War II in this one, so sorry for those of you that are getting all excited about this series, and then I... I do my second message, and I hardly even mention World War II. But there's a reason for that, and that is I want to lay a foundation of understanding of how we appropriate even something like history and its value to us. Because history is past tense. It doesn't really affect us morally, right? I mean, it's, not, it's someone else's decisions, not ours. And yet, if we forsake history, we actually will create the immoral decisions of yesteryear and not learn from it. It's like this incredible tool that we have. Adam and Eve didn't have history to work from, and they uh, made the classic blunder. We have Adam and Eve's history to learn from so that we can actually not go in the same direction. Uh, So this is called the proverbial pattern. And again, the series is called Spiritual Lessons from World War II, and this is part two in that series. What does World War II have to do with your Christian walk? That's a really good question uh, you know it's it's fascinating because you know I think I was trying to mention it yesterday. it's a hard thing for me to articulate, and I've talked with uh you know Nathan really enjoys uh world war history uh, World War one and World War two uh Philip does uh there's uh, another one of my buddies up in Michigan we'll talk we'll get on the phone, and we're supposed to be talking you know business right, but we'll get off on. World War uh, One or Two history, and just start talking for a long time, and in fact, we feel like we're sort of uh, doing something bad uh, when we do because we know we're supposed to be staying close to it, but it's very edifying for us It's like why <laughs> would it be edifying to talk about World War one and two history It doesn't make any sense, but that is because of the lessons that are. I mean, compacted in a very short period of time, you have so much history taking place from so many different angles, and it's such extreme sorrow, extreme suffering, and you have so many individuals that are needing to respond to circumstances that are so far beyond anything they were trained for growing up. And you, know, you stick yourself as a Christian in Nazi Germany, and you have some problems, you have a challenge. And one of the things that Hitler was doing was he was removing the ability to testify or to uh, voice your dissent. And so he had spies everywhere. And if anyone actually voiced, even in private, a dissent, well, then that person could be immediately taken uh, and executed. And so it was silence. There was no martyrdom. Martyrdom was like removed from society. So if you were a dissenter... You never, you'd oftentimes just disappear. No one would even know that you were a dissenter. You just were gone off the face of the earth. And so when I, st- when I, when I think that through, I'm thinking how long would I last <laughs> in a system like that? And you know, when I study Stalin and I study the different systems that he used to motivate his troops who did not want to fight. They did not, twi- did not want to fight. I think it's around 27 million deaths uh, in Soviet Russia during World War II. I mean, it's just like, so extreme that we can hardly even fathom, but s- since he had so many deserters, he instituted a law which basically said that they would line up men with a, uh, a gun trained on the front lines, and if anyone even turned around, they would be shot. If anyone retreated from the front lines, they would just be shot, and then the guys that were holding the guns had someone behind them, and if they didn't shoot, they would be shot. I mean, I just don't like the situation, the precarious nature to the moral dilemma, the ethical dilemma that you're in, if you're not wanting to fight in the first place and you feel it's an unjust war, I mean, what do you do other than die? (laughs) So the interesting dilemmas that my soul faces as I encounter World War II, and that's just the Eastern Front, but in so many regards, if you put yourself on the ground as just the average Joe that just happens to be living in these countries— and since most of us in this room are probably European in descent, right? And so, I mean, I could easily be German over there. If, if my uh, ancestors hadn't moved and migrated this way, I could be right smack in the middle of that with that exact dilemma. And so for me, these are key issues. And the same reason I read Fox's Book of Martyrs. is like, Eric, why would you do that to yourself? Because I want to exercise a muscle inside of my soul, which is the decision muscle. It's a muscle of obedience to the living God to put him above my personal comforts, to put him above my personal satisfaction, to put him, get this, above my wife and children. Ew, That's a hard one. And when you have a spouse and you have children, you'll understand that that is an exercise that is, it's a necessity though. I have to make a choice of what I believe. Do I believe Jesus is preeminent? Do I believe he is worth my life? And the best way I can love my wife, the best way I can love my children is to make sure that Jesus maintains the upper position. But I tell you what, these are exercises of my soul. And so World War I and World War II are an exercise for me, just like it was for everyone alive in that generation. This was a very, very traumatic and difficult, agonizing season of life. So what does World War II have to do with your Christian walk? It's strange, but it is like a Christian walk. It's like, welcome to Christianity. Boom, bombs start going off. Bullets start whizzing. You jump down in your trench and you're like, what is going on? Wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. That's exactly what every soldier was thinking. They went off to war and it was romantic. Before World War I, war was a romance, and the French, when they came into the battles in World War I, still were on you know, horseback with their cavalry, still had their sabers. They had white, ca- the, the, uh, the leaders had white caps on. And the guys have machine guns on the other side of the line. The white caps, guess what got blown up first? It was a target just sitting there. I mean, this is before camouflage. And it was noble amongst the French army to stand up in the midst of the fight you know, and sort of raise their white glove and have their white cap on. I mean, and it just mowed down. And yet all the French are like, well, that's what we've always done. No one had any idea what they were headed into. It was so jarring and so shocking. For us as Christians, we take a step into this battle. And the enemy says, you move in this direction, watch out. And yet the Holy Spirit is drawing us. The problem is, without discipleship, we don't understand war we don't understand battle and therefore we are thrown out as so many people died in world war one because of going crazy basically they had no idea what they were going through they couldn't live in this this hole this this uh, trench covered with flies and having dysentery and they it was like they couldn't handle it so they just start running And they'd run into no man's land, which is the territory between the two trenches, between uh, both sides, and just get shot down. It's like, well, that was a dumb move. They lost their sanity, if you want to say it that way, because they were not expecting the rigors of war. You have entered into a kingdom, and you are antagonistic just in your disposition of being in Christ towards the kingdoms of this earth. And if you don't understand that, it actually throws you for a loop. So what you need is wisdom. Now, I just said that very plainly because that's what this message is about. But you need to know how to think, how to reason, and how to approach the circumstances in in which you are in so that you can win. One of the statements that I told Hudson when uh, I first sat down with him uh, a few years ago about going from boy to manhood, same would be true going from girl to womanhood. But if you are not taught about that adventure into manhood or that adventure into womanhood, then there are certain things that are going to shock you because you're going to be awakening to things the way that God intended us, even in our humanity, in our sexuality, to awaken to certain things. And no one has taught you what this is. So it's like being shoved out of an air transport, you know, with the military transport plane, into enemy territory. You're given a backpack, you're given a gun, you're given a knife, a mess kit, and and so on. You're given everything you need to survive down there, right, in this hostile territory, but what if no one tells you that you're being shoved out? No one tells you about a parachute, no one tells you you have a gun, no one tells you where you're going, no one tells you that you're in enemy territory. What's gonna happen? The first thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna be taken as a POW, prisoner of war, because you have no clue what's going on. You don't have wisdom, you don't understand What is taking place in your life? Therefore, you are not prepared for it. What if we invert that? As Christians, what if we are prepared? If we're well prepared, we win. It's that simple. We have weapons of warfare that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have the victor. But the devil doesn't want us to know our weapons. He doesn't want us to understand the terrain of battle. He knows it. He understands it. We don't because it's like a lost art in the church. So uh, one of the best-selling authors of the past 10, 15 years in Christendom is very much anti-war, as if if I'm pro-war, right? But he is so sick and tired of even the church talking about war. So he said something like, I am sick and tired of this war metaphor being used in the church. Okay, I want you to pause for a second and just ponder that. So yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I don't really want to have... I wish I could reimagine Christianity to not be a battle, to not be a conflict. Wouldn't that be nice? But it is. And it's not a metaphor. What is a metaphor? It's when you liken something to something else. It is war. And the, the Bible itself, the writers of the Bible, carried along by the Holy Spirit, are going to reveal it as such. This is not a metaphor so you can get upset with it all day long, up one side and down the other. However, it is the state of affairs, so we either stick our head in the sand and try and avoid it, or we bring our head up and say, God, train my hands for war. Teach me how to stand in the midst of this darkened age. Introducing the Proverbs, the wisdom for ruling a nation. A king, King Solomon, is going to be speaking to a son. So that son is a future king, if you want to look at it this way. So it's a king to a king. Most of us, when we read the Proverbs, we know it's Solomon, right? And he's just a wise man speaking to us. But what we oftentimes fail to realize is that what these Proverbs are for are for ruling nations. Isn't that just a fascinating statement? We don't appropriate it that way, and that's fine. You know, in other words, you may not end up ruling a nation uh, while you're here on earth. However, that's what it's for. So what is good for a nation is good for ruling your body. That's what's interesting about the Proverbs is what we see is an impartation of wisdom, of thinking that is actually going to be good for ruling a nation, but it's also good for ruling an individual thought life. Isn't that amazing? It's good for ruling, uh, it's good for ruling your body, leading your marriage, training your children, and governing the church. And yet it also could be good for a king knowing how to rule his people knowing how to implement laws, learning how to care for the weak in his nation, learning how to stand against hostile nations, foolish nations that are coming against him. Same truths. They're called proverbs. Now, a proverb is a very misunderstood concept to us in America because we have, you know, there's Chinese proverbs, and then there's biblical proverbs. Is there any difference? Well, there is. And it does not mean that a Chinese proverb is bad. There's some really good Chinese proverbs, right? It just means that one comes from heaven and the other one comes from earth. A Chinese proverb is a wise man on earth who is looking at life, looking up maybe towards heaven, and he is assessing the circumstances and he's giving a proverb for life. There's nothing wrong with that. However, the king's proverbs in in Solomon, in, in, in proverbs, is actually God inspiring a man to write to see from heaven's lens so this is actually the king of kings speaking to us his children if you look at it that way it actually ennobles and dignifies it this isn't like some Indian proverb Chinese proverb this is God's own proverbs so the same is true here. What we're going to do with World War II is we're going to invert it uh, and utilize it in a way that is uh, different than just history. So what happens to nations is strangely what happens to individuals. So when you see nations encounter each other in Europe, you can think of a family very quick. I mean, it's, it's actually rather humorous if you think about it that way. And you know that most, I- even in World War I, that most of the leaders of the nations were all related? You know, you have, uh, you know, the guy from uh, Russia uh, was related to the uh, czar from Germany, uh, and which was related to the king of England. It's like, that is one of the weirdest things. They're all related, and that's how they they did They intermarried, they, you know, it's like to make peace uh, with other countries. And so you have one big family in Europe, dysfunctional family, but you have one big family that needs to learn to get along with each other, Okay. And so the same is true here. What happens to nations is strangely what happens to individuals. And what happens in individuals is strangely what happens in nations because it's made up of a whole bunch of individuals. It's people problems. And people problems can take on small little uh, things and big. And so when you begin to understand that God is the creator of people, he knows how we're built, and he knows the solution for that. So the wars of nations parallel our own battles. The weaknesses of nations parallel our own weaknesses. The strength of nations parallel our own strengths. So I think I was saying it after uh, the, the, the talk yesterday that you know, there's a character in World War II named Neville Chamberlain. And the more you study World War II, he, he becomes almost a bad guy in history because he overlooked Hitler and Hitler's rise. And he felt like Hitler... He could trust Hitler and when in fact Hitler was not trustworthy, right? And so he goes down in history, you know, really blowing it and leading to tens of millions of lives lost, okay? So it's a pretty big mistake, right? When I study World War II, I identify with Neville Chamberlain. I know that sounds terrible. I'm glad I don't say I identify with Hitler. But I identify with Neville Chamberlain who wanted peace. He wanted peace so desperately that he was willing... He was even vulnerable to being conned by Hitler, and Hitler knew it. This guy wanted peace no matter what. So as long as Hitler said, yeah, we'll have peace, then Neville Chambers like, oh, oh, good, good, good. And I find that same propensity in me, the same propensity in me to desire peace in our country. What do we need to do to just have peace? Because I don't want a fight. I don't want to have You know, the great tribulation break out in my generation? Could we just have peace? And as a result, where you can sell your birthright for a bowl of red stew. And I see the same propensity in me. I see the same propensity in the church today. Which is why when you study World War II, you're like, whoa, we are on the precipice of repeating the exact same thing. The strengths of nations parallel our own strengths. It's very interesting when you study it. So King Solomon is going to kick off the Proverbs. This is the very beginning of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And he's going to tell us what they're for. This is actually the purpose of the Proverbs. And I'm going to, you'll notice that I have two Hebrew words in there just to sort of keep you off balance. To know Chakmah and Musar. See, doesn't that help you? You now know what the Proverbs are for. Isn't that interesting that if you just slow down and realize that the entire book of Proverbs is given a purpose, like so that you would know this, these Proverbs were given. And this is like the Holy Spirit moving through this man to communicate these Proverbs, and we know what they're for. They're for chakmah and Musar. How are you doing there? Do you understand what those are? So let me go through those, because these words are very, very important. Now, typically, they're going to translate as wisdom and instruction. So chakmah is wisdom and musar, instruction. So I want to dig a little deeper into chakmah because throughout the uh, Proverbs, you're going to see the word wisdom used a lot. However, there's going to be different words for wisdom. This would be like the umbrella term. This is the kingpin term. This is the papa term for it. Then there's a lot of derivatives or ancillary concepts of wisdom, but this is the big form of wisdom, the umbrella so, hakma, wisdom is what it is, to rule well your life and that authority which is entrusted to you. So, I'm going to give you some proverbs so that you can rule well your life. To protect and care well for that which is in your jurisdiction. A jurisdiction is that territory over which you have say. So, right now, you have a body that you have say over. That's your jurisdiction. If, if you have... You know, a house or a car, hey, that's part of your jurisdiction. If you are married, then you have a family dimension. You have uh, maybe a house. Uh, You have kids. That's your jurisdiction. You have say over it. If, if you lead a church, well, you have say over a church. If you have a business, you have say over a business. That's your jurisdiction. So to protect and care well for that which is in your, your jurisdiction. So Solomon is basically saying, look, I'm gonna, this, these proverbs are given to you so that you can protect and care well for that which you're entrusted. To judge rightly, to protect that which is entrusted, to care for that which is yours. To bring heavenly decision in all matters of life. To know the righteous course. To know how a man ought to behave, ought to act, ought to speak, ought to live, and ought to serve. You ever had those moments where you're like, God, I don't know what to do. What you need is wisdom. You need to know how to behave, act, speak, live, and serve in that situation. And so when I see World War II, for instance, I have some challenges. Even as I'm staring from the outside, it's like, God, I need wisdom to know how I would live (laughs) under Hitler. How I would live under Stalin. I mean... I know it sounds strange because it happened back then. However, I feel the necessity to at least seek God on that and say, God, I need you to instruct my soul that I would be readied to be wise in these situations. And sometimes God's wisdom is clouded until you need it, okay? That's just a, a fact. However, one thing we know is that when we seek it in faith, he will give it. And we will always have the wisdom we need when we need it. So, wisdom. Here's a more simple way to look at it, okay? To rule your body, this is, I have a whole list of them. I don't remember what it comes to, around six of them. Wisdom, to rule your body with mind and excellence. Two, to rule your marriage and family with adroitness. Three, to rule in church matters with divine prudence. To rule in, number four, to rule in matters of civil government with heavenly judgment. Five, to have mental skill for war and to answer enemy attack with divine strategy. Six, to courageously, boldly, and unabashedly make adroit decisions in the most troubled times and in matters of the most difficult and perplexing nature. Could you imagine if you had the confidence that you would have that whenever you need it? You know that all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ? So when you, teach, when you learn position in the Christian life and you exit Adam... And you by faith enter into Jesus, you have access to all of that. And so as a result, though many of us are not concerned about, well, I need to have, uh, be able to rule in matters of civil government with heavenly judgment. At the same time, you also can have the confidence that even though it can go on the sliding scale all the way down to how to rule your own thought life, to how to rule your own sexuality, to how to rule your hands and your feet, to how to rule your emotions, There's wisdom for these things. And if you have a matter of, let's say, anger or fear, that there is wisdom that can be applied to these things so that these areas of your life can be ruled well, just as Winston Churchill is going to need wisdom to know how to deal with Hitler's movements in the West. Okay? Wisdom. This is what we need in any man or woman. That with faith goes unto God and seeks it, will in fact receive it. That is a fact. So let's look at Musar. This is, remember, the Proverbs are for Hakma, wisdom, and Musar. Instruction. The divinely authoritative correction of God. So this isn't just the instruction of a school teacher down the road. This is actually God's instruction on your life. So it says, the Proverbs of Solomon and the son of David, king of Israel, to know Chakmah and Musar. So let's say we were going on a journey to California from Colorado here. And so the wisdom is, you need to get out of Colorado, it's cold. And you need to get to, to, uh, to California where it's warm. Maybe I should have said Arizona since Nate just came here from Arizona. Let's go to Arizona. And so the wisdom is, get out of, I was going to say get out of Dodge, but get out of Colorado uh, because your health, you need warmer climate that's still dry. So you're, you're going to go down to Arizona, okay? Uh, and so that's the wisdom. But you just get in your car, you have no idea how to get there. And so you could be driving, and then so the, the GPS is the Musar. And it says, <clears throat> turn left <laughs> in 300 feet. No, whip a U-turn. I don't think it says whip. That was the, that's the term that I added to it. And so it's going to instruct you in how to get there. Okay. In other words, it's going to correct you when you turn the wrong way. It's going to correct you back. And so the wisdom, in the general sense, is I know what you need. You need to get from Colorado to Arizona. And you go, aha, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that great wisdom. But I have no idea how to get to Arizona. And that's where the instruction comes in. And because almost every single thing that we start with, we have the wisdom But now we need to have it refined where we're steered specifically to align ourselves with Christ's way of applying that wisdom. So the two purposes of the king's maxims, or his proverbs. hakma. Now you're going to see in italics, I am going to give a summary point of what this is. It's to know the righteous course. How should I do this? This is the course you should go, Eric to know how a man ought to be in all of life situations. I mean, wisdom is a pretty potent tool for the Christian. Musar, number two, to be trained in the righteous course. So I know that I should do this. Like, let's imagine that I know that I'm, uh, I'm, God says, I want you to be a Olympic gymnast. I'm like, praise God, I know what I'm supposed to do. But now I need a coach. I need a coach who's gonna come in and correct me. Actually, probably teach. I don't know hardly anything about gymnastics. Since Abby is in gymnastics, I've learned a little, right? But not enough to be dangerous. And so I would need a coach to teach me. Eric, no, that's the wrong form. You need to keep your hips in, you know, whatever it is. And so that's the instruction. To be corrected when you are not as you ought to be in the midst of all life situations. So I may be doing the gymnastics, but I need to refine my form and in gymnastics it's a really interesting sport because it has to be perfect and everything about it is perfect and it's interesting because a lot of us on the outside would say that's that's really ridiculous that it has to be perfect if it's not you oftentimes have injury so the same is true in the kingdom of heaven God wants to correct our form lest we be injured God actually loves us unto correct form Oh, wait, there's a third purpose. I didn't tell you, did I? See, when I gave you that first scripture, I clipped one out just so we could focus on the first two, and then I could debut uh, the third one, which I think is pretty cool. I really like this third one. So what it says in Proverbs 1, 1 through 2, sorry, it wasn't deception. It was just I didn't fully divulge what it said. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to Tinochachmah, and Musar, which now you're an expert on two Hebrew words right there. Now wait till you get this, get this third Hebrew word. To Bini <laughs> Isn't that one of the most extraordinary looking words you've ever seen? You feel really smart when you know how to pronounce that. Bini Isn't that cool? Do you want to say it? I know that some of you who are like, could I say it? <laughs> My clicker. There we go. So Bini Mir Typically translated understanding, that is a not a, a very strong translation. It, for the English, you almost need to give it that way because it's a very hard word to define. But what you're going to see is it basically says the same thing twice. You're going to see that bin, 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 binah, right? And so what this actually means is this, to understand the words of understanding. Isn't that a weird statement? To understand the words of understanding. What? Now think about this. One of the best ways to understand understanding. It's really hard to explain something when you need to use the word understand to even explain the word understand. It's like trying to define the word word with word, right? And that's what we were dealing with last week. So bini mirbana, to understand the words of understanding. Think about the word understanding. It's that which is under your standing. So you're standing on something. Is it firm? And so when you understand what you're standing on, it actually, let's, let's put two, like, circles on the floor, okay? And you have one over here and uh, one over here, and you, you know that you're standing in the wrong circle. And that one is where you're supposed to be standing. So you could be over here and understand that you're supposed to st- stand over there. But that isn't what it's talking about. It's not saying, oh, do you understand that you're supposed to be standing on that circle over there? Yes, I do. What you need to do is actually stand on that circle over there, and then it lights up green, right? And then you're like, "Oh, I get it. You mean I'm supposed to be standing on the circle, and then it lights up? I understand what is under my standing." Okay, I know that's that's a little confusing. It's it's a hard word to to define. So we'll go into it just a little more. So being a to understand the words of understanding to be able to reckon. Now, last week, if you were in the week-long training, I went through reckoning. And this is what that concept is. This is the idea of taking it to your own account. It's not just staring at the circle on the other side of the stage and saying, yes, I agree, I should be standing in that. Or I should be eating healthy vegetables. Instead, I'm eating uh, McDonald's. And so, yes, I understand I should be, but that 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 isn't... See, if the wisdom of God and the Musar of God are working, it's moving you into that circle, or in my other case, to eating the vegetables instead. So that actually your actual life is in agreement and conforming to what you know to be true. So to be able to reckon, to grasp, to fully receive, to truly gain that which is in the word, to not just know that you must stand upon something, but to actually stand upon it. To truly have the word, the rock, the king's maxim, under your standing. And so what you're going to see in the New Testament is Jesus is going to refer to a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. Now the wise man is going to be revealed in the Proverbs. There's the wise and the fool. Remember there's always twos? So over here you have the fool and over here you have the wise. And so we all start as the fool, but we're going to have a rod of musar, rod of correction, a rod of instruction that is going to correct us. And what is it going to bring us to? Wisdom. And so these things are going to work together. And why is it bringing us to wisdom? So that we could have our standing on rock. So that when winds and rains beat against us, we will not fall. You see, the Proverbs are doing this for us. Did you know the Proverbs are useful for you right now? Right now. It is not just for Solomon's son. It is for us, it is the divine word of God to actually do this, to give us wisdom, instruction, to drive out the foolishness and to have us stand firmly upon the truth. To understand the words of understanding. I'm going to give you a few examples. See if any of these trigger uh, the concept more clearly in in your mind. It's like being freed by the words of freedom. Okay, imagine someone tells a slave, you're free. But if the slave doesn't believe it, if he doesn't take it to his account, he stays a slave even though he's heard the words of freedom. But if you're freed by the words of freedom, that means you understand the words of freedom. So as a result, you respond and you leave your slave master. I'm free. And so to understand the understanding, to be saved by the words of salvation, how many people know that Jesus saves? I mean... Most of our country knows that Jesus saves, but that doesn't mean that they've been saved by the words of salvation. To find peace in the declaration of peace. To receive love in the words of love. It's a fascinating concept, but most of us know that God loves us. But I have watched it so many times over the years where someone who knows intellectually that God loves them in one of those moments where there's ministry taking place, someone comes up and they just feel led of God to come up to this person they put their arm around them and they whisper in their ears, "I just really feel that God wants you to know He loves you and then they break down and start sobbing It's like, wait a minute, didn't you already know that? you knew it, but you you didn't understand the understanding. you weren't standing on the dot and it went blue and it, and it lit up there was something missing you. You have the words of freedom, but you weren't free. You have the words of salvation, but you're not saved. You have the declaration of peace, but you don't have peace. You have the words of love, but you don't know you're loved. To actually grasp the good benefit when hearing the words of good news. Isn't it a a distressing thought to think of hearing the good news and not receiving the good benefit from it? But that's, that's the point. The Proverbs have been given us so that we would not just have the wisdom have the instruction, but that we would actually get it, that we would have this in our life. To be empowered, to actually live the life empowered. You could hear about the power of God's grace and the, the fact that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness and no weapon fashioned against us shall prosper and we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We could hear all of it, but do we have it? Does the green light go blue and turn on? And we're like, hey, I've got it. I don't know about you, but this is like the deepest hankerings of my soul is that I would understand the understanding. And what's amazing is the Proverbs of Solomon, the king. So I want you to realize this. The king is giving us his Proverbs so that we would have everything we need to have that light go green. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Proverbs are a Christophany. They are focusing us and pointing us to the one, the king who will come and impart to us everything we need. Not just intellectual, but spiritual, so that we could function to rule our thoughts, to rule our bodies, to rule our marriages, to rule our homes, to rule in the churches, and to rule in nations if necessary. To rule worlds, who knows what awaits us in the, uh, you know, when Christ returns. I don't know. But guess what? We're being built for it. I'm getting excited, guys. The three purposes of the king's maxim. So let's, let's review what we've gone over. hakma to know the righteous course, to know how a man ought to be in all of life situations. Musar, to be trained in the righteous course, to be corrected when you're not as you ought to be in the midst of all of life situations. And Bin Amir Benah, to be empowered in the righteous course. See, it's, it's one thing to, uh, to know that you should go to Arizona, It's another thing to have your GPS in place. And it's a whole other thing to have fuel in the tank. And being a meter banana would be like fuel in the tank. You could have the wisdom, but you need the instruction. You need the GPS. You need to know how to get there. It used to be an atlas. I was going through uh, some old stuff in my attic yesterday, and I came across a 2006 atlas. And I was thinking, boy, we used to to use these things. I, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without an atlas. It was a pretty big deal when... GPS came out, and we used to have these uh, very expensive GPS things uh, that you'd you know attach to your uh, car. Uh, what do you call it? dash? And I mean, they were expensive too. And so we would invest a lot of money in that to get away from maps. And then now everyone has one. It's just ridiculous. Uh, it's not ridiculous. I actually appreciate it a lot. But <coughs> listen to what I how I define this as: to be enabled to become as a man ought to be in the midst of all. Of life's situations. So very simply, hakma to know the righteous course, musad to be trained in the righteous course, binamir banah to be empowered in the righteous course. The proverbs have been given for this very purpose. So I'm going to give the illustration of a flashlight. Okay, and we're going to use hakma, musad, and binamir banah to in understanding this. So you're in a dark room. Now the wisdom, you're like, God, I, I really want to see. I, I want to know how to better walk through this life instead of tripping over things. And God says, uh, you need a flashlight to see in the dark. You get wisdom. and You're like, oh, thank you, Lord. That is so good to know that I need a flashlight. And so imagine that you're even given a flashlight, but you, or you, you think you know what a flashlight is. Maybe I should say it that way, okay? And so you're like, oh, that's exactly what I needed. And yet you pick up maybe a stick, and you're like, God, how come this isn't working? Well, that's not a flashlight. Uh, This is a flashlight. So instruction is going to come in, and it's going to begin to train you in that wisdom. So you know that you need a flashlight, and you know the flashlight will solve your problem. So that's your umbrella solution, right? God's given you the wisdom. But now you need the instruction to better know how to walk in that wisdom. So this is a flashlight, Eric. And then I, I hold it upside down, and I'm holding the, uh, the top part towards me, and I'm, I'm f- trying to uh, shine light out of the bottom, right? And no, 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 that's not how you hold a flashlight. This is how you hold it. it. corrects it in my hand, and I'm like, oh, okay. Your flashlight doesn't have batteries there, because I'm like, hey, I still don't see anything. Well, your flashlight doesn't have batteries. I'm like, what's a battery? And then he shows me the batteries. This is the positive end, and this is the negative end of the battery. You put them in like this, okay? Because guess what? Many of us have put in those batteries incorrectly. Like this thing doesn't work. And that's where the instruction is needed, okay? And so you're getting instruction of how to apply this wisdom. And screw back, screw back on the cap. Now, now, when you press this button, it will turn on the flashlight and you'll be able to see. Now, could you imagine having the wisdom, having the flashlight, having the instruction, and not turning on the light? You know how many people are like this in Christianity? It's like, tell me about your flashlight. Well, this is the means of salvation in darkness. Great, great. Are you seen? Well, no, it doesn't really work for me, but supposedly it works for other people. You see, we have mus- we have hakma wisdom. We have musad, instruction, but we don't have the light going, Boo, and turning on, and I get it, I see. So this is where the understanding comes in. You mean this will actually solve my problem with darkness? (laughs) It's like this huge moment. Many of you have felt that in your life. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you've been around it your whole life. You've handled, you know, juggled flashlights, you know, and whipped them behind your back, grabbed them like this. You've given lectures on flashlights and how they work and how you stick in batteries. You're an expert on the doctrine of, of flashlights, and yet you can't see anything. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean this will actually solve my problem with darkness? You mean that if I hold it like this and get the batteries incorrect and then simply press this button, whoa, I get it. And the light goes, bloom, and you understand the understanding. Christianity is meant to light up. It is meant to turn on in your life so that you actually functionally can do it as opposed to theoretically think it Let's review. The Proverbs are profitable for what? For giving us the road map and showing us the right destination. For instructing how to practically get on the road, stay on the road, drive from here to there and actually reach the right destination. And for supplying us the engine, the fuel and the fresh tires so that we succeed in our journey and don't fail. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you may not see it right off the bat, but that's exactly how the Proverbs start. Basically, he's going to say the exact same thing of what Solomon says the Proverbs are for. Scripture is profitable for, number one, doctrine, for giving us the roadmap and showing us the right destination. That's wisdom. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Well, that's for instructing how to practically get on the road, stay on the road, drive from here to there, and actually reach the right destination. That's the instruction. And then here's the binamir banad, the understanding, the uh, under the uh, the understanding, and to complete and thoroughly equip the man of God for every good work, for supplying us the engine, the fuel, and the fresh tires, so that we actually succeed in our journey and don't fail. So this isn't just proverbs. This is all scripture. You see, all scripture points to one thing. Jesus. Jesus is the secret to this unlocking. You could be a good Jew and you could have your Proverbs and you could memorize your Proverbs. You could reason through your Proverbs and you could make good decisions in life. However, you do not have the life, the green light on in your soul. Look at the word proverb. Proverb. Which means... It's an action that happens beforehand, which is a really strange statement. This is something you do or move, so a movement of soul even before you get somewhere. And so when I talk about lessons from World War II, they're like Proverbs. They're exercises of soul before you get there. You are gaining wisdom, instruction, and in being a mirabana even before you get into that trench. You are gaining Wisdom, instruction, and understanding even before that first mortar shell blasts near you. You have it before the flies start crawling on you. Before the dysentery sets in. Before the trials of your soul, you are prepared with everything you need to face that situation the way a Christian ought to face it. So that everyone else in that trench could look at you and say, What do you have? Because one of the greatest messages to the world is a man or a woman in the midst of suffering that triumphs. That is the greatest means of sharing the gospel that exists is to triumph in difficulty and have everyone near you that is also struggling reach out and say, I need what you have. Could I please have it? You have the potential to be readied for the war you have an opportunity, a window of time in your life. And I would say our generation of Christians in this country has a window, and it's closing fast, but we have a window where we can be prepared to be in a trench and be the strong ones. So, proverb, a beforehand action. The action that must take place beforehand. The action that enables the right outcome. Isn't that an interesting way of looking at that word, even the word proverb? The great preaction. You want to talk about the great action that took place beforehand? Before you even get to that next thing, you know what you need? You need Christ's proverb, his proverb. Jesus the cross. It's the action that enables the right outcome. You see when we the greatest wisdom you could ever hear from the Holy Spirit you need Jesus. <laughs> there it is right there. That changes your life. He's the fulfillment of all the proverbs. I'm going to give you one proverb that will enable you to live forever and rule worlds. You need Jesus because in Jesus is all wisdom, instruction and being a banah, understanding the understanding. Everything you will need is found in the word. Everything you will need is found in the Word of God in text, and the Word of God in person, and the Word of God in action. Everything is supplied for you so that you can face any difficulty, any challenge, any extremity like a World War I or a World War II and not blanch, not shudder, but move forward with a smile on your face knowing that you are built for such a time as this. Father, I pray that we would cherish this working of history in us. That we would not take it lightly, but recognize that your Holy Spirit delights to utilize that which has happened beforehand. Just as you do in your scripture to teach us now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be good students. That we would not just have wisdom and understanding, but that we would have the Bini banah And that the green light would, boom, go on. And that we would get it. That we would grasp it, that we would have truly the the engine turn over and we would be able to move forward in this life with great strength and gusto. We love you and put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. This is unto you for your glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.